Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. clean up big poop like, like that's the fundamental problem with them like i love big dogs yeah we need to breed a breed of dogs that is a big dog and has small poop no no right? no no you know yeah. why because anytime that anytime you say let's breed something out of an animal to make it more appealing to humans it's always bad for the dog like pugs <laughs> those poor poor creatures a lot of people think pugs are adorable i think pugs are like adorably ugly it's like a, a so so ugly oh, it's cute it's so judgmental but but look, <laughs> i grew up with like a, a chihuahua that could have won the world's ugliest dog competition and i that dog was <laughs> so beautiful to me like i just loved everything about it but pugs they have been bred their, their tail and the way that their face is made up are actually um things that are are wrong in their genome are, are things that are, are mutations in their genome that are actually bad for their health yeah but ev- everything that that you're breeding into an animal is probably like it's all a mutation at some point right yeah, yeah, yeah. but then then wait 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 okay. we could end up with a superhero is the truth though every <laughs> hundred million mutations one is beneficial and gives you superpowers so we could end up with super dog. okay i could do super dog <laughs> i just I, it's sad because the the like for pugs they're born without um the ones you know purebred pugs are born without a lot of the nasal structure and because of that they end up often oh. dying from uh from oh. problems with respiratory systems because of that and that's and sad. so that's sad like you know yeah of course like Everything about almost every human is a mutation. That's how we're made. That's how how animals are made too. But whenever you pick mutations that you know are bad for the animal, that's where it gets really sad. And like pugs can't go on airplanes in the like sitting with their their human because if they do, the pressure sometimes on liftoff can actually cause them to suffocate and die because they don't have enough nasal nasal structure. There. Okay, so so I'm just gonna say something here, Micah, for our happy session <laughs> section of the show. Right, right, right. Big Big dogs, small poos. Big right. dogs, small poo. Let's just, yeah, yeah. We'll have that. Yeah. No, I, I think <laughs> a, a great Dane. So, or so Shereen, I great. have to ask you. I have to ask you. So I, 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 I don't know you well enough to know. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Because you seem like a dog person. I want to believe you're on the side of good. Please. Like, so, like, here's, which, so here's the deal, just so okay. that you understand me. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I am. I am a multi multiple animal person. I okay. am a cat, dog, fish, <laughs> rats, uh, you know, not rats, I'm sorry, a hamster. I was one of those kids that grew up with everything. And at one point in my ha- in my household when I was a kid, I saved a lot of animals. My mother used to say I would be out in the street and saving animals that I should never be saving. But I at one point had <laughs> five cats and two dogs in the house. In the projects in Harlem, oh and my mother was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, right?" And, and when the and when the cats, when the when the mother cats started teaching the baby cats to steal the fish off the stove, she was like, "No, your cat's gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> uh.
All right. Well, that is that is credibility for liking all animals. Yes, I believe we can put there. up with that. Yes, yes, yes. Should should we actually do a little bit more of an introduction here? We we know yeah, now. Yeah, that we should know. <laughs> we should we should let people know who our uh, guest is this week. Uh, so I grew up in uh, Harlem in the Bronx in New York City. I happen to be, um, uh, you know, a, a, a evidently a geeky kid who happened to be a, a girl of color. I started video games when I was about ten years old. And um, my mom thought I was going to the video arcade every day after school to go hang out with boys, and so she so she bought me the um, the Atari because she was like, "Oh, I don't believe you, but you know, let me buy the Atari so that you can come home and maybe, 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 maybe not." And so I did come home, which was really ironic because the store owners didn't want me there. The the boys didn't want me there because I was the only girl beating them on on all the <laughs> arcade games. And um, when I when I got the Atari, I was like, yeah, I can do this all day at home. And that that sort of expanded into um, you know Commodore sixty four and a whole bunch of other things where I was coding as early as ten years old. Wow. And what my I think from my mother's perspective, even after I started telling my story, she always thought I was lying, which is really interesting to me that she thought I was at the arcade just to hang out with boys and not because I was interested in the tech or the gaming or anything like that. And that was part of the like narrative for the rest of my life. Everybody who ever understood that I was any form of gaming or, or technologically savvy was like, no, this is not for you. And I was like, but. I can do this. I'm good at this. People don't like me being good at it, but freak, I'm good at it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so tell people about like the work that you do. Like, um, you know, so Sharina and I have been paired up. Like, we've been to secret meetings, uh, secret yes. feminist meetings <laughs> that we cannot talk about in public. They're very secret. It's like the the feminist uh, uh, Illuminati friends. Yes, feminist Illuminati. <laughs> uh, yeah, we also had a really awesome, uh, successful uh, panel blog her uh, last year with uh, Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal. So tell. Tell, tell listeners about like your work. What do you do professionally? I formed the very first women of color organization to focus on women and girls of color to get them into tech and back in 1999 in a time period when no one even thought even remotely that women and girls of color should be in tech. Awesome. Uh, since then, I've also uh, formed Stop All on Violence Against Women to focus on the things that have been happening that I believe that are keeping women and girls of color from even wanting to get into tech. And that's what I'm doing professionally. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, Steve is not on the show today. He's finishing up a, a big project for Big, big shoe. shoe. Big Shoe. <laughs> big Shoe. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so we're bringing you on on the happiest episode all year, Shereen. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's just get right to it. Yeah, let's awesome. uh, let's let's dig in. Um, you know, <laughs> an election just happened, um, and a, a lo- I, we know how it we know how it turned out. Um, it, it blew a lot of people's minds. I will say, um, I, I think that there was there was a lot of shock and awe, at least around me, uh, and. I think that I, you know, I've seen that from other people, and ultimately there has been a lot of 
mental health concerns that have honestly come out of this and a lot of people very, very down. And uh, we are blessed and lucky to have uh, somebody who knows her stuff when it comes to, to mental health and anxiety and depression. And so, Georgia, it's your job as a Canadian to save all of America tonight. So, you know, no, no pressure. But um, h- how do we move forward? A lot of people are really... And a lot of people in Canada are really taking it, so around the world, are really in shock and horror and dismay um, about the way that the election went. I think that um, it was an election that really divided people, uh, divided families. I think that people on both sides of the aisle felt very strongly and that causes a lot of damage. And then to have... Just to have someone that, like, words can't even express all of the issues that this brings, like, this brings up more isms than anything else that we have encountered in my generational history ever Yeah, that we're all having to confront with. That, you know, we often, and I think that a lot of times people talk about, oh, all of these issues are behind us and we're moving through them. and. No doubt that is not the case yet. And so I think that this is, people are taking this the same way that they would take, it's like a little bit of traumatic stress and like mourning, like mourning as if someone has died type of mourning. So I have to say something about this. I have run into a lot of people, and even in the work I did for the election, that were really stunned that Trump could win. And you know, for me, growing up in Mississippi, um, I never underestimated Trump for a second, and because I think um, I think what I see here in Massachusetts is people really not understanding how powerfully that kind of blatant racism um, and sexism and homophobia you know, resonates with a lot of America. So, um, you know, George, I was in Canada last week at University of Waterloo speaking, and Mm -hmm. I I was talking to a professor who was very confident that Hillary was going to win. And I remember telling her, it's, you shouldn't be confident. So this, this outcome doesn't surprise me at all. I think this should really be a wake up call to, you know, especially white liberals that want to believe that we're making progress on these issues. Um, the, the truth is like, we're not in the way a lot of people want to believe that we are. Yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It seemed like, um, especially here in Canada, it was not, it was a no brainer. It wasn't even it wasn't even an issue. Like the the polling in Canada is, I think that it was eighty twenty, uh, Hillary to Trump here. The way that it polls, and I'm even shocked about that. Like, I'm like, I don't know how can that even be, um, with everything that we know. But it, it was almost like that. It's impossible. I had people coming in. I've I've had a lot of people really traumatized um, coming into sessions, and we have to take a full few sessions to just deal with this because it's really shook people where they're no longer sleeping. They're not eating. um, They feel quite devastated. And so it becomes really difficult and and we're going to be discussing how, you know, to deal with it. But I, I would love just to hear everyone else's 
um, feelings and reactions to that because I was absolutely in shock for shock and kind of shaky, like actually shaking kind of shock. Yeah. Well, I was, I was at Hillary's uh, party in DC and yeah, it was like 200 feet from where she would have, I'm sorry, like 20 feet from where she would have accepted the nomination. Um, you know, and I was standing there and the results started rolling in and, um, my legs started shaking and my hands started shaking and I was so overcome with terror and fear that I had traveled to be there. And I realized I just couldn't, I realized it was going to break me like watching her fail, um, you know, in a crowd like that. And I just had to leave. Um, it was terrible. What about you, Shireen? What was it like for you? I don't think anyone knows or realizes that I was actually working from an election command center in DC at Howard University. And we were, we were actually monitoring, um, and then, then going to a watch party, but we were actually monitoring what was happening on the ground. So I just want to make sure that people understand something really, really candidly about what happened and where the issues are because as we were pulling in data points both from social media from research from people on the ground that as people of color uh, the voting rights act being gutted made it possible to keep the, the 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 a number of black and latino and other um those of minority groups from voting. And although I'm constantly hearing people say, oh, it's about having IDs, this is not what happened in this election. And what happened in this election was that there were no protections, no federal protections as well, to keep from voting violation, voting rights violations that impacted communities of color in a way that only allowed this vote to happen for white America. Yeah. With that said, am I devastated? Absolutely. But what I'm also trying to say, we saw this coming when the VRA was gutted a while ago. And then all we did was watch how uh, people of color were removed removed and purged from the rolls and had to contest being removed to vote. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was, we made the decision. Um, I, I went out with, uh, with my boyfriend and with, uh, some of his friends and we went to a restaurant and we were watching, uh, the election results. Um, and, you know, as these things are going on, we're having discussions. We're talking about how uh, so many of the things that this man himself has said, and yet people, you know, continue to to vote for this person. You know, it, it shouldn't, of course, in the end he won, but even in the beginning before I was ready to consider that a factor, I was just distraught to some level about um, that, that he was even doing as well as he was. And so as we're discussing mm-hmm. this, um, a white man came up to our table and started shouting at me and harassing me about the 
election and about uh, how I didn't believe in free speech because I had a problem with the things that uh, this man was saying, with, with what Trump was saying, um, which resulted in uh, my significant other trying to, you know, protect me from the situation. We ended up leaving there when I looked around and remembered where I live and noticed that I was the only person of color in the entire restaurant uh, and all night heard cheers every time a new steak got called. We left. Um, and the next morning, uh, I had received an email from someone who had use the the n-word among other choice things against me and mm. that's that's where i am right now uh i i i do think you know i i have to realize be based on listening to other fellow people of color uh who have said i was not at all in shock about this i was not at all surprised that clearly i do have a level of privilege because while i wasn't in the end upon listening to kind of all of the discussions surrounding this shocked and surprised at how he pulled out this you know getting one-fourth of the vote in America because, you know, half of America didn't vote, a fourth of America voted uh, for for Trump and a fourth of America voted for Hillary. And so, you know, I, I realize that there is some level of privilege that I have based on the fact that I did face so much shock. But I have to look at it now at this point and say, you know, as I see my my family, I, I'm biracial for anyone who doesn't know, uh, black and white. And uh, as I see a lot of uh, members of my white family talk about how we just have to move on and, uh, you know, it, it, it happened and life goes on and things like that. Well, life has not started to go on for me and for so many people because we're constantly confronted with uh, with, with people calling us derogatory things and harassing us and attacking us. And I mean, I, I feel less safe than I have in the past. And I realized that I have uh, walked around around with rose tinted shades and tried to, to be happy go lucky and, and uh, not considering those things, but uh, more so than ever, there, there are bad people that are empowered by this uh, win. And it's terrifying. It's genuinely terrifying. And I, I say that with no level of hyperbole. But I also want to make sure that we're, we're being candid about this. This isn't just about words or just about people who have who who are saying nasty things or calling names. Like, I, I feel like that part of the free speech conversation gets reduced to name calling and the like. What has happened in, in the last hours, I mean, since he's been now officially elected, um, we have seen, I have seen, and others have seen reports, not of name calling, but white men, four, two, three in trucks showing up and not just saying nasty things to women of color, but pulling hijabs off their heads, hitting them with metal objects, stealing from them, taking their cars, taking their wallets harm harm these are not words these this is harm and physical violence and the fact that i feel that people still reduce this to oh this is he was just he was just speaking in these tones while we're not checking the fact that multiple instances that has happened since he's gotten elected has shown that the targets are on the backs 
of people of color, but also especially women of color, because we are the most vulnerable in this country. And and these guys have no problem showing up and coming at us. And I've posted something on Facebook where a young woman who basically said, I was just pumping gas and four white guys showed up and basically said they could take my life right now because they were a waste of air. She was a waste of air. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, and this is day two, right? This is, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not even in office yet. Um, you know, Micah, you were sharing something in our you know, podcast group chat before this started about the plans to gut, you know, LGBT rights. Um, something's devastating for me about this election is, you know, transgender people are some of the, the most vulnerable in our entire country. You know, when we, when we talk about freedom of religion or, you know, racial equality, we at least have a semblance of framework there to begin to address that kind of discrimination, not to say it's even remotely functioning well or as far as it needs to go, but at least juries have you know, begun to answer questions like, well, you know, can you know, black people go to school with white people? If you're talking about transgender children, um, mm-hmm. you know, these are people that, you know, protections in school for them to get educated, you can expect that to go away. The Obama mm-hmm. administration's progress on that is going to be you know, vaporized. Healthcare insurance has been expanded under Obama to help transgender children you know, get access to you know, surgery and medical procedures that are going to save their life. That's going to be erased. Um, you know, our, 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 our start to create legal protections for transgender people to work and get married um, you know, or even have like legal documents in their, their, their correct gender, that's going to go away. And Shereen, you're dead on when you say all the people out there, they're saying this is going to be okay, or just minimizing this as words. They don't understand what the human cost is going to be for those that are just struggling to get a foothold in America. And it's just privilege. And I have to say this, and this is, I know I've got listeners out there, and I know there are even people on the show that did not work the election. And I have to say, it is so frustrating for me to see these anti-Trump riots breaking out all over the country when I know for a fact I was working at Hillary HQ and we were trying our damnedest to get people to come in and volunteer to work the phones to notify voters to show up and people didn't. And the time to get involved and to be angry was before Tuesday. And it is so frustrating to see people that didn't do their part like act shocked about this. Well, there was less voters that that went to the polls than when Obama went for re-election. So people did not at all like understand or maybe they believed the polls and thought that she was just going to win. And it's it's just it's really it's like one of those things where people always say, you know what, if you could go back in time, you know, what would you do? And you know, it's it's really horrifying. This yeah. is really horrifying. 
Yeah. So from my from my perspective, based on the numbers that we were doing the work on at the election center, I think there's a combination of things um, in terms of this Georgia that we, we should just be really candid about. There were polls, polling places that were removed from black uh, neighborhoods. There were shorter lines and, and, and shorter, t- shorter timelines for voting. Um, and there were also shorter um, early voting in different locations across the country. What I, what I want people to understand is the reason that this has happened in the way that, that it has isn't just about who came out to vote but most importantly about who was suppressed in their ability to vote. Because Mm -hmm. people had to go miles to vote from a polling place that used to be around the corner to them. And when they went around the corner, they found out it was closed at the last minute on the polling day Mm. before they got to where they were. And I've had stories where people had to go four places to vote. And if they didn't have a car, there was no way they could have voted at all. So, so, so I want to I want to make sure that we also pin in this conversation that he didn't just win because people voted for him. He also won because there was a huge strategic idea to suppress the vote of those who were and minorities, and that is the key the additional key to the reason that he won. Now, I also want to say that what I've learned and based on what it was, what we've seen, that the, the concept that, and I've seen this before the election, that the college-educated white women were going to save the day for Hillary, that also did not happen. Despite the fact that that pre pre election polls, many of these women had basically said that they were going to vote for for Donald Trump. When they got to the poll, when they got to election day, they actually pulled the lever for him. And so, what we also need to make sure that we understand is it wasn't about economics. It wasn't about being educated. That that even. That, that at the end of the day, over 55% of white women didn't vote for a white woman. Yeah. They voted for a white man who was a bigot and a racist and did a whole bunch of stuff that even even outwardly talks about being as a sexual uh, assaulter. And they still voted for him over a, another white woman. Now, I will only pin this because Lovey Ajayi has written a post that basically says something really interesting to me because it's something I haven't thought completely about. But she she made a comment that white women didn't trust another white woman because they don't trust themselves. Mm. That's like so deep and so like like problematic on levels I can't wrap my head around. But it was that moment of like, Wow, I think the problem that we're having is we don't trust ourselves and we're not willing to to believe that racism is has been the undercurrent of our United States because we think we're good people and we're we're a good nation and what just happened was a bubble bursting saying nope 
We are racist in so many ways that we can't handle. And we need to, like, we can cry and sob about that, but then we need to deal with racism. And at the end of the day, we also need to deal with um, imposter syndrome. I, I There's so much there to, to unpack, Shireen. But I, I want to say for me, you know, I'm a queer white woman. And, you know... You can't look at the data about the way white women voted and white men too. And I think you have to look at this and understand there's something deeply broken in white culture that we have got to reckon with. And the pattern I see over and over again is when we are confronted with the privilege and the harm that we cause people, repeatedly we choose to tune out that reality. And it's something that we've really got to have conversations within white culture about. You know, Georgia, you mentioned something at the beginning of this show. You were talking about how it was stressful for people to have divided family members in this election. And I understand that that trauma. I've had that too. But we've got to have those difficult conversations with other white people. Because you're talking about being awkward at like a Thanksgiving dinner. Well, it's a lot more awkward than the situation you're describing, Shireen, of like, you know, being a Muslim woman and having, you know, uh, your shot or ripped off your head, you know, or having white men come up to you and talk about how they're free to murder you. Like, we've got to have these kinds of hard conversations. And our comfort in wanting to not offend or push away other white people that have these attitudes, you know, our comfort is has to be disturbed. And it's just the truth. Yeah. Plus, women are horrible to other women. Our cultures, and we, we've spoken about it on the show before, the tribalism of women are pitted against other women in order, uh, you know, to, to fight for men and for jobs and for everything else. They are pitted against each other. But in the culture, white women statistically are even worse towards other white women. And I think that it wasn't just a feeling of self-hatred. I think that it's it's actually a cultural phenomenon that I think that probably a lot of white women have felt about, you know, that when they enter an area that they don't feel safe or they're going to be backstabbed by someone else. And that's, we don't have a sisterhood. And that is one of the reasons why we we undercut ourselves. We expect to be the only, like, you know, they we, we don't want to have another woman come into a company or we don't invite them to do something else because we uh, have this innate, not innate, culturally biased um, feeling of um, jealousy or competition among one another. And it is a horrible thing because not only does this cause us to fight each other? But then it also allows, you know, old cultures to just stay in power and we are doing it to ourselves. Hillary did everything exactly the same and she was a man. This would have never happened. This would yeah. have never happened. Yeah. I I agree with everything you're saying, Georgia, but I also think, and Shereen, this is something you and I have worked on professionally. 
um, there is a tendency within white culture, with white women, that in the hierarchy, we, especially straight cisgender white women, um, they there's really a sense that, you know, straight cisgender white women are the star of the show and everyone else is there as a sidekick. Um, and there's something about that culture constantly where including other people or other voices um, is just uncomfortable. And there's, there's a selfish tendency that I repeatedly see in, in the feminist community. There is, I'm not going to give names because I don't believe in tearing people down publicly, but there is a, a very well-known white cisgender feminist that writes books and um, is in the New York Times a lot. If you look at her work, she talks a lot about body image and she talks nothing about the black experience and our, our, our responsibility to women of color to elevate those voices. And that sadly is the norm and not the exception of the rules. So I think that there's, you're, you're dead on that we tend to tear each other down, but I think there's, we've really got to reckon with this selfishness. I think it's, I think it's even more than selfishness. I think that it's, an innate fear. I think that it's that we, all of our TV and our media that we consume, um, you know, highlights this and, and cheers it on that this is good. I, it's, it's really, it's really quite horrifying. It's really quite horrifying and we don't talk about it. Uh, so I just, I, I also want to make sure that Micah gets the chance to speak because he's the, 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 the resident male on the, on this particular panel. <laughs> uh, but, but I also want to say that I think that what I heard in terms of um, what Brianna was talking about is really important. I think I have been experiencing for the last few years harassment, but I also feel like for women of color, they've experienced harassment, and in and, and, and terms of stop online violence against women, we've collected the data where, you know, top harassers are white men. The second top harasser is a white woman, and so, so what Brianna I think is talking about, and the third, I'm sorry, let me just be honest. The third harasser, top harasser, is a man from the exact same ethnic group. Not an external male, but a male from the the group that we are sort of born into, and so I get the the pushback that goes on for white women about white men because those are the same harassers that they feel, but they don't. In my opinion, I don't feel they understand that if they embolden a white male, that that they're emboldening him not just for white women, but for every woman of color from that from that moment because we're not seen as even close to being as valuable. So that's a really complicated conversation to have at a different point. But what I do want to say that I, what, what has happened in everything that I've seen so far in terms of this election is this really interesting thing that happens in the feminist movement, which they're basically like, we're talking about all women. And if anyone says, but we're talking about women of color, they will immediately say, well, this is not about race. It is. What just happened 
is about race. And, and the fact that the shock and awe for people is that the race undercurrent actually elected a president is also part of this problem. And, and this problem is ultimately, at the end of the day, part of this discussion. And until, until white women are willing to say, I am, I'm, I am fighting for feminism and I'm fighting for all women and never, never, never have the caveat, but this, this is not about race is the only time we can get past this. I've heard that so many times. I've had that said to my face. I've had leaders of the white feminist movement say the worst thing that ever happened was black women going off to do their own thing, not ever understanding that the reason that they did it was because they were never paying attention to the values that black women had or the issues that black women were faced, that that is what just happened in this election. And if we do not, do not have that conversation, we will never get past it. And I'm watching the defensive defensiveness already happening as people have shown, based on the data, that over 55% of white women voted for Trump and voted for what, who, who clearly was a bigot. And 45% of white women who were college educated, who were claimed to be the saviors of all this, by the way, who were listed as the saviors, by the way, also voted for Trump. It wasn't a 13 percent to, you know, 87 percent college educated white women, which is the case in black men and, by the way, black women who overwhelmingly voted 96 percent for Hillary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Micah, I want, I want to hear from you. Yeah. I, <laughs> before you do hear from me, though, we have to hear from one of our dear sponsors. You all remember Linode. Remember, it's not Linode, it's Linode. And this episode, just like many others, is brought to you by our friends at Linode. It's a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. And it's what makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute with plans starting at just 10 dollars a month, which now gets you two gigabytes of RAM. You're going to be able to choose your resources, your Linux distro and node location right from the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. So you might be wondering, what the heck can I use Linode for? Well, there's a lot of great stuff you can do with it. You can run a private Git server. You can host large databases. You can run a mail server. You can operate a powerful application. And there's so much more you can do with it. With industry leading native SSD, that's solid state storage, you can have access to a 40 gigabit network, you're going to have all the power you need to get your tasks done. So as a listener of this very show, if you sign up at linode.com slash disruption, you're not only going to be supporting us here, but you're also going to get $20 towards any Linode plan. And let me remind you that plans start at $10 a month. With a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's honestly nothing to lose. So please go to linode.com slash disruption to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or go ahead and use the promo code disruption20 at checkout. We thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Okay, so, uh, you know, I want to start by saying that um, it was very nice of you, Shereen, to say that. I, um, 
I think it's important that when when does when discussions are being had that I honestly can't uh, provide much personal thought toward that I just have to sit those out and um, I just appreciate all three of you. I just want you to know that and I appreciate the uh, the viewpoints that you bring to the table because when I've been thinking about this, especially uh, with with my family on my white side and with even my significant other who is a white man, I have wondered. How do I approach these, you know, these different discussions and really try to explain, at least to, you know, the family members of mine that may have uh, felt that Donald Trump was right in this election? How do I explain to them uh, what it means in this election, what what I have to be concerned about and what so many people have to be concerned about? Because honestly, it's so far removed and there's there's so much uh, so much barrier in between that oftentimes when you try to have these discussions, things just, just shut down or they, they, they don't believe certain things. And it's this cognitive dissonance that, that Georgia talks about a lot. And I think that the best way uh, to have these discussions and to try and, and convince people of these things is honestly to, to tell stories and to share anecdotes and to talk about how human beings who they have to look in the face and who, you know, in some cases maybe gave birth to or are, are direct relatives of, this is how they are being uh, affected by this. And, you know, I, I'm proud to say that this year uh, my mother, um, who, who is white, made a choice that she would have never made in the past, I don't believe, um, to to not vote for Donald Trump, where, uh, you know, she would typically go the conservative uh, Republican side. And I do think that that is a, a direct uh, a direct effect of having uh, two sons now, pretty much, who are uh, who are LGBT and then also understanding that her kids are are on the line in this. And I just think, you know, I, I've had conversations with a lot of people, and that's why, I'm ha- well, that's why I'm talking about this, where people have come to me and said, how do I talk to my family about this? I had a, a friend of mine who said, how do I talk to my fiancé about this? How do I say you know why would you why would you vote for her for this man how do i talk to my parents my family and it's 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 tough but brie gosh darn it you're so friggin right we have to have these conversations and we have to and they we have to confront people with the reality of what this is i there's a twitter moment that i'm going to make sure gets popped into the show notes uh that's just collecting all of the things that have happened since the first day after the election of all the people yes the hijabs being pulled off of women's heads women deciding not to wear them the the people who were told that they they hoped that uh gay people would would lose their marriage rights that, you know, there, there are gay couples who have been confronted. There are transgender people who have been confronted. There are black people who have been confronted. There are, there are Latinos who have been, there's so many people that have been confronted and it's just two days in. And the only way that we're going to change this is by talking to the people who all of the rest of the time we give a pass on the things that they say. I saw so many jokes leading up to the election about I, how do I continue to love my uncle who I know voted for Trump, but it's not a joke anymore. We really have to talk to those people and we can't just say it's Thanksgiving time. Now let's sit around at the table and argue over a card game. These are real, real things that are affecting so many people and especially all the people here on the show. And I know a lot of people who listen to this show and we have to do something. So, Georgia, this is what 
I I really love your take on. Um, I know our listeners are out there right now, and I know they're hurting. Tell them how to take care of themselves. Like I almost I almost hate the phrase self care because I think it's kind of <laughs> I think it's kind of indulgent. But I mean, how can people deal with this psychologically in a, in a healthy way? And I just want to tell you, I have transgender friends that tried to commit suicide yesterday. Um, the calls at a transgender national suicide line that just started, uh, they can only answer a third of them because they're so overstaffed. Um, how can people out there take care of themselves in, in, a, in a constructive way? Yeah, well, I think that, that um, I tweeted out a lot of different uh, call center lines, uh, addiction lines as well. So it's, you know, if you're dealing... Like, you really want to make sure that you are, if you're in a really difficult place, you know, make sure that you reach out to someone. Don't even deal with it on your own. Reach out. Make it a call center line. I can send you all the links, Brie. Um, same thing for addiction. All of these different things, if you need, it's not weakness. It's smart and strategic to say, I'm struggling. Yeah. Help me out. And if you have a friend, a family, whoever you trust and you feel safe with, um, please do that. Please, please do that. Um, And then the next thing is this is the same type of trauma, like it's a post-traumatic stress type of trauma. And it's also that feeling of mourning, of loss. And so you're going to go through all of these really strong emotional feelings of, you know, bargaining, denial, um, you know, anger, frustration, sadness, it's, it's really, you're going to have to give yourself that allocation that that's okay. That is all right. And so some different tips that you want to do in order to help yourself go through it. So dealing with it and listening to the media and hearing about it is, it can be for some really re-traumatizing because you get angry, you get hurt, you get upset. You're like, how could this happen? We can only handle that for so long. And for, for most of my people, it's like, give yourself a break from media. Media discussions, dealing with that, unless it's in a way that makes you feel supported and cared about and allows you to vent. So don't feel bad if you can't watch TV. I am not going to news for a while. I had to turn off even on our French radio stations um, they're discussing this. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen to music on my way home because, you know, I have to be healthy enough to help other people. I may need to really be careful with that. So don't feel about turning off media. Two, I, I, I can't look at his face. I can't. I turn it off every time I, it comes I up. And actually I actually feel no a little bit yes. even hearing the name. It's really horrible. Um, and that's okay. Right now, you just that's okay. You do what you can right now. You also want distractions. You need to give your mind a break. And so um, if that's doing one thing would be creative. Doing things creative are really good for you. Creating something, making something, building something, gardening, changing something is really, really good. The next piece would be exercise. And if possible, outside of the ha- your house or somewhere else that has a new area, as long as you're not going to be hearing other people discuss this, if that you find upsetting. So exercise is wonderful. It lets out adrenaline. It burns off the anxiety. It makes you feel a little bit of relief. It releases all of those happy endorphins after the exercise. So that's good. Even if it's walking, even if it's five minutes, that's fine. Journaling is also lovely. 
Journaling is a great way to deal with unresolved feelings of hurt, and it works better even than speaking to people that are not trained in helping you or very, very supportive. It's a good way to deal with it if you're on your own. Um, Other things like coloring or reading like magazines that have nothing to do with this or watching TV shows that are going to be you know, opposite of this type of thing so that it doesn't re-bring up a piece that will make you think about that is really good for that. You also want to make sure that you eat, that you sleep, and that you are doing things all through the day to give yourself little tiny breaks. So I always make sure that I plan different things. So usually when I'm in a period of mourning, I do my nails. Always. It's just one of my things. And I usually do my nails. I'll play a video game and I'll watch TV and I'll do all of them at the same time. It's just because you want your brain to be doing something else. And you want it to be kept occupied because whatever you practice, your brain is getting better at. And you don't want to spend long periods of time being angry or being sad or being upset. And that's not just about the election. That's for anything. You want to make sure you also give yourself a little bit of a break because what happens is is that when you're in a period of distress, your brain says, well, this is good to be in distress, so I'm going to make more neurotransmitters and more neural pathways in this area of the brain. That means you're going to get better at being sad or angry or anxious, and you don't want that because it's traumatic to the system in the long run. You can also be proactive and do some good That makes us feel much better. So being active about doing something, whether it's outreach, whether it's community help, volunteering, uh, being with animals, doing something that you feel like you're being proactive is also really, really helpful. I'm sorry, I wanted to mention that, especially since I think that uh, that's something that you do a lot of. So, well, yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, like, I'm I'm very purposely disconnecting right now, but um, for me, I find putting together a plan about where I'm going is helpful. Yeah, this is something I think about a lot. Georgia is I read a study a while back that um, if you give people a hundred dollars to do whatever they want with. And if they go to the mall and buy whatever for themselves, they get X like level of happiness. But the thing that actually gives them the most happiness is giving that money away to people. So for me, what I've tried to do is realizing that you know, Shireen and Micah, like we're all in this together. Georgia, you're Canadian. You're you're here with us in spirit. Like we have all really got to stick together. Those yes. of us that are yes. in marginalized communities. So I have, you know, I reached out to a lot of people this year. Um, I wrote a lot of emails the morning of this, and I said, you know, for some of the people, I'm like, look, I know we've disagreed on some things. Uh, it's time to put that stuff behind us. And you can call me anytime and I'm there for you. And I found that 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 act of giving and trying to connect with people, I found that that really helped a lot because, you know, uh, connecting with them and saying I'm here for you, I'm sure it, 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 I had people tell me it meant a lot to them, but it was really about me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I found that having that generous heart helped me a lot. Um, so yeah, what about what about you two, Mike and Shereen? What are you thinking about? I think part of it is connecting with the women who I know are in pain and who are 
very, very fearful and experiences that I shared earlier so that I know and I can keep my pulse on the ground. I, you know, I grew up in the projects and, you know, I'm, I'm far from the projects. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in the Mecca of, of, of the, of, of the politics of this country. And I, I know that there's a difference between where I am now and where I grew up. What, what's hard for me though is, and what kind of, like there's there's this so I'm in my I'm I'm sulking a little bit and I'm still like I can't believe this but I wasn't shocked by it and then the next part of me is like what can I do and what will I do is just basically do what I've always been doing which is really being very vocal about how racism disproportionately affects women of color and how in many instances whether people realize they're doing it or not, or actually participating in stereotypical behavior that continues the racism that allowed, you know, Mr. Trump to be elected. I call him DT, so I really have a hard time saying his name. From that, and from my own background and my own history of understanding resilience is actually the most important thing to even that have gotten us to where we were before he was elected, that I feel like I know I have to muster that resilience up to move forward. And that's kind of, in my opinion, where I'm sitting right now. I mean, for me personally, these attacks are happening virtually and physically, which is, I think, a hard thing for a lot of people to, to, to understand. It's... The threats of violence have been happening for quite some time and have been ramping up online for for women of color for 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 years without being mentioned or being defended and now with the president elect we now know that we'll move to a very very physical experience and that is something that I have to sit with, but I, something that I'm willing to figure out what I need to do next to help uh, my community. Yeah. What about you, Micah? For me, I, I try to spend the, the first day um, really just uh, being with my significant other and talking with uh, my friends and family who will be more affected by this than others um, and trying to kind of I did take a break from the internet Georgia was suggested that to me because there <laughs> there is where I, I you know had to see some things I didn't need to see but going forward figuring out I'm, I'm going to be moving to a, um, a a county that is red um, and oh my god yeah uh, which is unfortunate. Columbia in Missouri is is blue. Boone County is blue, but I'm moving to a, a county that's red. I grew up in a county that was red, um, and it's about finding out what action needs to be taken at the local level uh, there to to make sure that things are in. Pl- I mean, this is this is kind of what we talked about this, this grassroots and and really focusing on the small things and not just coming out at the big things. And, you know, in the past, I have only come out at the big things. And it's time to focus uh, at a very, very micro level so that the macro can be changed. Um, in the meantime, of course, it means making donations where things uh, where, where those need to take place. And 
you know, honestly being hypervigilant um, and, and being, I think, too, despite fear and despite concern, being visual, being uh, visual and being as, you know, standing in my bisexuality and my blackness as much as I can and standing for others. Uh, a very good friend of mine and a very good colleague um, who leading up to this point had uh, not had not told had not been i guess public uh, about the fact that he's transgender um after the election he shared that with with the world at least in the sense that he posted on facebook and told everyone about it and you know this was something that he had never done before and he talked about being quiet in the past and and uh you know because he did not want to be visible uh he chose not to be visible is essentially that and you know that was a very inspiring thing and it was it was a moment where I think all of us kind of got together being good friends and said, this is something that we all have to do because we can't just what, – what, what they want to have happen is for us to go into our holes and disappear, and that's not the time. So I think being more visible at this point and uh, paying attention and, and being vigilant are all on, on the block. And um, I, we, do need to, we do need to sneak in another sponsor here. This episode of Disruption is brought to you by PDF Pin Pro 8 yeah. from Smile. We just love, love Smile. They, they put a smile on our face. <laughs> PDF Pin mm-hmm. Pro is the giant Swiss army knife for PDFs. But imagine a Swiss army knife where it has so many tools, it would need a separate carrying case. That is PDF Pin Pro. PDF Pin Pro can add signatures. It can edit text and images. It can perform OCR. That's optical character recognition on scanned documents, and it can export in Microsoft Word format. Only PDF Pin Pro can create an interactive PDF form, build a table of contents, set document permissions, and convert websites to multi-page PDFs. What? PDF Pin Pro 8 can now even create portfolio documents to combine related files into a single PDF, and it can attach files to your PDFs. Uh, I have actually not had a chance to use PDF Pin Pro, but I know, Brie, you've talked in the past about how it's unbelievable it's awesome it is like uh, so you know like how you have certain programs on your computer to take care of things like um you know my profession i have photoshop um pdf pro pen pro is absolutely one of these prop um, programs you have to have um it's everything from gosh like trying to export different PDFs to sign them for legal reasons to I've used it to Swiss army knife uh, presentations together when I needed particular slides that were only in PDF and I needed to get some of the data and text off of them. Like it's just an amazing, an amazing program. If you're a professional, you have to deal with PDFs and this is just, it, it's, it's the Rolls Royce of dealing with this. Like preview <laughs> is, is solid on OS 10. This is beyond. Uh, so like, you can't, you have to have this. Like you just can't work without it. There you go. You can get 20% off the Rolls Royce of PDF, of PDF, uh, editors, PDF pin pro eight in November by visiting smilesoftware.com slash disruption. And if you've not checked out PDF pin pro, now's the time. Cause you're going to get 20 off. That's awesome. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show and all of Relay. All Thank right. Thank you, Smile. Thank you, Smile. Thank you. For making us smile. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bree. Uh, what? Micah. <laughs> first of all, I hear Massachusetts is a great place. 
It is. It's a very good state. If um, I got a lot of blowback on Twitter for saying this, but uh, you know, one of my top suggestions to anyone out there that's queer uh, would be, you know, it may be time to move to a state with some protections. And you know, Massachusetts is pretty awesome about that. I saw you tweeting about it, and I started to read up a little bit more, and also how uh, the healthcare there is likely to be the least affected, to, yep. no matter what might happen at the presidential level. So that's awesome. But um, you talk to BuzzFeed, I hear. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, and uh, you, you might be considering some, some candidacy of your own, eh? I, I'm very seriously thinking about running for public office here awesome. in Massachusetts. I am really seriously thinking about it. And, you know, part of this election is, like, I think anyone that runs for office, like, starts thinking, oh, I'm not qualified enough. Oh, what if they, you know, find out stuff about me? What if, They don't you think know, that like, anymore. It's like, and you see Trump do it, and you're like, I know I'm as qualified as that, dude. I know <laughs> I'm as qualified. So it's like we, when I think about Gamergate and who helped me, it was women prosecutors. It was Representative Catherine Clark here in Massachusetts. It was women in positions of power, and, and they stepped in and helped. And I believe so strongly that we need more women in leadership office. So, yeah, I talked to I talked to BuzzFeed about this today. Um, and I'm very, very, very seriously thinking about doing this. So, um, you know, Georgia, for me, part of what um, helps me when I have a tough emotional blow is making a plan. Like when I start thinking about the things that the tech economy in Massachusetts needs to go forward, those needs are not being met. Like a lot of our leadership is just from a generation where they don't understand these things. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter here in Massachusetts. Um, we have a lot of work to do in you know mandating body cams and the entire uh, legal framework around that. So you know, footage just doesn't get magically lost. So we've we've got to have a generation of leaders that are going to be really seriously advocating for these things. So um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. I have a lot of opportunities in front of me right now for what I'm doing next. But it's something I'm really, really thinking about. So I don't know. Have uh, Shereen, have you ever thought about running for office? So locally, I've had um, multiple conversations with people who thought that I should have run for what we call the ANC, which is like the state or, or count. So it's sort of county D.C., um, legislators all the way up. And, and the truth is, I, I don't think, like, I know I'm political, but I am not a politician. Like, I don't have personally the, the sense that that's something I would be willing to do. But I did have multiple conversations with people who thought that I would be an excellent, um, candidate. I think I'm, I'm still more of a rebel rouser. Pushing, pushing outside at the margins to make change so that those in power will do what needs to be done. But not so much that I'm sort of like the protester. Like, I used to be the protester on the street when I was in college. So, like, the stuff that I think people remember in D.C. was, you know, the colleges protesting and shutting down streets because of the administration and things like that. I, you know, I was a part of that. My mother used to say, I'm waiting to see you on, on camera, you know, <laughs> during those protests. And I think that 
many of those protests have expanded and we're looking at it in a very different way with Black Lives Matter and the like. And I, I am in full support of those who are doing that work because that work still needs to be done. I feel like I'm the person in the middle who is doing their best to translate what's happening on the ground to the people who are in office and not necessarily in in any camp because I think that that's where my strength is. I, I, I think that for me personally, I see myself as a bridge builder. And even though I can be challenging and, and making people think and move the needle and being aggressive in that way too. I just don't think that like an, an office seat is, is where I personally belong, but I totally support anyone who thinks that that's where they can go. And I totally support those that I know has been doing amazing work on the ground to make change happen. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts? <laughs> I think it's awesome that you're doing it, Bree. Go. I, I may do it. I may do it. I'm well, not if you sure. do, I think that that's sure. awesome. And I think that, like, other people have to think about how can they, you know, go out there and help. And I think that a lot of people think that, like, one person doesn't make a difference and they they can't make a change. But I think in times like this, this is when it's really important that we come together, that we unite. Um, I was reading about how all of us, you know, you know, talking about on Twitter, we're in our own little microcosm of a world. And so it's really nice and it's really helpful to be out there with other people and to be making a difference in your own community or in other people's communities to be able to really, you know, say that that people are important. You are important. You're not forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's well said. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, if you would like to get in touch with the show uh, for, for future episodes, we've got some voicemails coming in, which is exciting. So please do call us at 508-418-3532. You can also tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me. And you can send a direct message if you'd rather keep things personal. Now, in any of those cases, please do let us know if you would like your name on the internets. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. Go ahead and review the show on iTunes because, as usual, it always helps. You can find the show notes, including all the links we talked about today, at relay.fm slash disruption. If you're looking for me on Twitter or in other places, you can find me at Micah Sargent. If Steve were here, he would tell you that you could probably find him at Wicked Good talking about that card game whose name escapes me at the moment. And Shireen, if people wanted to find you online, where would they go? At Digital Sister. I am the original Digital Sister. So no matter what you search, you'll find me. (laughs) Awesome. I love that. And Brie, where could people find you? Space Cat Gal on Twitter, which is the only way anyone will be able to speak to me as of next week. So, <laughs> no other methods. Maybe you're on Signal. No, uh, yes, we can do that. We can do that. And Georgia, where can people find you? Well, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, you can check out uh, anxiety-videos.com. And we have a special right now for our listeners where we're giving, I think, 25% off of our bundles. So you can do anxiety-videos.com forward slash bundle. Um, and uh, if you're, if you're you know, head out to talk to someone, be there, support each other. And uh, I'm uh, at Georgia underscore Dow on Twitter. 
Aww. You're going to make millions of dollars from this video, Georgia. I'm just saying, when you buy a castle, can I visit your castle with all of your money? It should be anxiety-videos-slash-election. Oh, <laughs> oh, dear. No. Yeah. Uh, That's thank true. You. I agree with that. If you made, like, a, a Trump series... I, I think you would just buy four or five houses. I think that would be very successful. You could fund <laughs> houses for all of us in Canada, and then we could all be be good to go there. That's true. As long as I get a, a special trip to meet Justin. Um, did you oh, not see my Justin Trudeau tweet? Did you put one out recently? I put out a Justin Trudeau tweet of him riding on a moose, saving everyone. Oh, I did see that. I did see that. Well, <laughs> we need a Justin. We need a Justin, Please, by the way. Justin, I think no. everyone needs Chris a Justin. Chris Rock says he's running. Chris Rock says he's running. I will I will vote for him so hard my, my keyboard will break. Well, you know Kanye said he's running in 2020. I would not 20, vote for Kanye. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I would not. No. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Will I be old enough? Just kidding. I don't want to do that. Uh, (laughs) Normally, this would be the point where Steve would tell everybody to get out of here. Go do something else. And uh, the thing you should do is go hug somebody you care about and do something for someone you don't know. Do something nice for somebody you don't. 